You got your candle lit? I do have the candle lit. I have a new, I have a bendy lighter, so I don't have to, like, hold it. Nice. I didn't burn myself while I was doing it. That was an excellent, crisp lighter click sound also. Yeah, there you go. Get that ASMR crowd in. We've made that joke already, I think. Uh, welcome to the Attorney Review. My name is Ben. And I'm Truman. And we're going through episode by episode back to He-Man and the Masters of the Universe 1983 edition this week. Daimar the Demon. Episode 17, where Orko gets a pet, but it's not a good pet. What's that movie uh, where if you get the thing wet, it's like bad news or like don't feed them after midnight? What's that? Uh, Gremlins. Yeah, sort of like a gremlin. This episode didn't make a lot of sense, but that's pretty typical. It was like a good return back to the nonsense of He-Man from actual written episode last week. How did it feel to come back to 1983 He-Man and the Masters of the Universe after last week? Like a blanket that just came out of the dryer and (laughs) you've just got home you've showered the blanket's dry and warm it's raining outside and you've been outside and wet all day and now you're finally dry and you have the warm blanket uh wow but also not like that for me and i don't know what this says about the 108 episodes that we have left of he-man and the masters of the universe but after having a plot that is actually going somewhere. Watching Daimar the Demon almost felt a little bit like, uh, this again, that again. How much mileage do you get out of... Like, okay, if you watch... I'm gonna say, if you watch 25 episodes of He-Man and the Masters of the Universe, have you basically watched every episode? Like, you've gotten the experience of watching every episode? The number's way lower than that. (laughs) I give it a good baker's dozen, honestly. You get it right off the bat. You have, <laughs> like, okay, He-Man's going to punch things. Skeletor's going to do some, like, evil things. Orko's going to do some weird thing and goof around. And you learn a lesson, sort of, along the way. Which may or may not be related to the content of the show that you're watching. So that'll be an interesting feeling to sort of sit with uh, as we continue. <laughs> yeah. And of course, there's, you know, He-Man has a whole expanded universe. There are other things that we can bring in. I don't know if the feeling wasn't bad for me. It was just sort of like, is this it? You know, when there could have been more going on, which I haven't gotten since the first time I watched it. And I was like, oh, so this is what the show is. And then now, <laughs> I, like, now I'm remembering it again. Uh, so with that heavy endorsement to our listeners to continue listening to us watch He-Man and the Masters of the Universe... Once again, we beseech you to suffer with us. (laughs) We open this episode on Palace Eternia. Orko is sitting, sort of looking forlorn on some steps. He's bored, doing magic things, being bored. He normally floats around, so is it like an affectation that he is crumpled sitting on the steps? I don't know if we could count it, but in in Humanity or in Revelations, the episode we watched, when he like got like sort of he like fought back some spell from Evil Lynn, and then he like crumpled to the ground after like exhausted. So like, 
I mean, sure, right now it's an affectation, but I guess like once he's like super tired, he probably falls down. He also has a bed, so he does lay down to sleep. So it's not like he can just fly around. I guess he can just fly around indefinitely, but he has to lay down to sleep. So maybe what I'll posit then is that Orko is powered on or powered by goofy nonsense. Uh, yeah. And when that runs out, his magic energy diminishes. He can't float. It's hard to be goofy while you're sleeping or when you're getting blasted with magic from Evil Lynn. So now he's all bored and it's not as goofy, so his goofy's run out. So he's just sitting there on the steps. He summons a butterfly. He summons like three yellow balls in the air. He doesn't even want to juggle. He's despondent. We cut over to Man-at-Arms Workshop. He's made some some discovery, right? And I paused it on his computer screen to see if I could make sense of it. He's proven mathematically the existence of the dark dimension. With his science and the sorceress's magic or something, he's finally done it. He's proven that there's a dark dimension. And there's just nonsense gobbledygook on his computer screen. I was going to ask with your semester as an electrical engineer did those <laughs> equations check out not at all i was like trying to see if i could solve them for something but i don't even know like what all right so i did write it down and you can see on uh the wiki the the fan wiki for this page like they have it as like the first image and it's like sine colon two over two with parentheses x minus one over y four and parentheses square i'm not going to read the whole thing it's like <laughs> It's yeah, it's nonsense. Maybe it could be some series or something. There's some deltas involved. There's a bunch more letters. There's some stuff going on. Regardless, I guess looking at this, if I could only understand it, I could find the dark dimension. You would have to have the Sorceress Book of Magic, which Man at Arms has borrowed, and it is through the combination of magic and science. And also, somehow, because the dark dimension exists very close to their current dimension, that all of Eternia, like, stays in balance, Man-at-Arms says. Yeah, so that's actually pretty interesting, because the dark dimension essentially keeps science and magic balanced between each other somehow. Does that go back to our episode where they went back in time and the science wasn't working quite right, and the magic was working stronger? Was the dark dimension farther or closer away? Oh, but if the dark dimension brings the science into the equation, I don't know. The creature that we discover in the dark dimension soon does, I don't know, not very scientific. Oh, not at all. But maybe it's like some sort of gravitational wave thing. So like the, the proximity of the dark dimension in whatever nth dimension that these things sit next to each other on, it was farther or closer away so it affected it more like it used to be closer and then so magic was stronger and then like by their presence in the past when they showed up there the science wasn't working right so but by their presence there it pushed the dark dimension away and so by the end of the episode his science was working better for no reason oh geez yeah i forgot that it started working at the end so like by their very presence in the past they pushed the dark dimension away way back in the day uh yeah maybe because they brought some science with them so they brought the science with them which spooked the dark dimension and they're like i don't know so they like scooch back a little bit and then <laughs> see this this is like why you go back to the old ones there's more room for nonsense <laughs> so speaking of nonsense 
Uh, did you catch in the pan across Man at Arms Lab? He has some incredible vehicles just hanging out in the back, like gathering cobwebs. I did not. What does he got back in there? He has, uh, it's like a moving tank that's like huge vertically, like a, like a whole building. Uh, like a siege tower kind of? Like a siege tower, but it's got like all kinds of like cannons jutting off of it. And yeah, it just, it looks like a, a huge building that would like uh, trawl across the countryside laying waste to everything, basically. Well, how else are you going to keep the Peasant Rebellions down, you know, without your giant building tank siege tower thing? So we get some foreshadowing in the laboratory. They are looking at a small computer screen because Manded Arms has also been able to spy on the Dark Dimension. And a little demon comes skittering across, shrieking. It was so jarring because I was, you know, I wasn't expecting it, but like, it looked like it was in the room, sort of. Like, there's no, like, depth into the screen so the screen is the same i don't know it didn't look like a screen and it's animated the same as all the other stuff you see so it just looked like a bat flew out of the computer screen into the room to me for some reason i was like i had to go back and see what the heck just happened because it was very quick and brief and it's like what but it does give us our first beautiful joke of the episode uh is it prince adam who says no it's man at arms says that thing looked hungry prince adam pipes up or does he think it have, I think that thing has the right idea. Or that's not it. What is it? Yeah, it is something like that. I just have written down some joke about, or trying to make some joke about Adam having the munchies. That's my note. Jokes about Adam having the munchies. <laughs> I mean, it is, you know, Man at Arms has apparently made another groundbreaking discovery in, you know, science and, and uh, magic and technology of Eternia. And they cut over to Adam's goofy face just being, yeah, let's get some snacks. Yeah, they all seem to think it's a good idea, though. So they all get some snacks. They all have the munchies. They all probably got a little baked to see a Man-at-Arms new discovery, you know? I mean, how many episodes have we seen where Man-at-Arms is giving some technical presentation to the king and queen of Eternia? And they can't be all all that interesting. It's like, oh, here comes Duncan again. He's all excited about some sort of dimension of dork or something. I don't know what's going on over here. Yeah. Pass me that fucking blunt before he gets here. <laughs> yeah. I cannot go through another one of these sober. Orko floats by and wonders if there is anything to play with in Man-at-Arms Laboratory. There is. A book of magic. <laughs> so literally, it just says magic <laughs> on the cover. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like uh, Orko's literal bag that's labeled tricks. <laughs> so he like leafs through it and uh, casts a summoning spell somehow to summon a little demon baby thing. It's almost like he's window shopping. He pages through a few, a uh, few pages of the book, lands on a picture of I don't know. It looks like a squirrel with wings or something. It's kind of like a cutesy demon. Yeah, like also like a gremlin. Somewhere in between, like a grown-up one and a evil one, and it's just cutesy. It's got little, little baby horns on it. It's got like tiny little wings, a little club tail. It's got goat hooves for feet and like buck teeth. And Orko's rhyming spell actually mentions the dark dimension, so I guess he knew about it. But anyway, the gremlin creature does appear, and I guess they become fast friends. It's clear that Orko's found somebody to get up to hijinks with. 
we cut over to the palace dining room, I guess. Maybe it's like the the palace kitchenette because you know they're snarfing down and snack in the afternoon. But it's like a like full on meal. Like there's like chicken legs and they're snarfing down, ripping like meat off the chicken legs. It's like tenderly animated. Suddenly the peas fly off the table, and things just start getting weird. Yeah, a bunch of spooky stuff starts happening. It's like a poltergeist is in there. Food's flying everywhere. And how long does it take Man at Arms to blame Orko? Not, not even a second. He's just immediately like, oh, it's Orko's fault. Which is a little rude, but I guess always true. At any given point, they're like, I bet I know who's behind this. The answer is either Orko or Skeletor. <laughs> Orko and Daimar are playing outside, and I guess they hear that Man at Arms is once again mad, so they run off to hide. Man at Arms, meanwhile, wanders into his laboratory with Prince Adam and the picture of Daimar has disappeared now that it has been summoned from the dark dimension. Yeah, he sees the book of magic open to the page that says Daimar the demon, but his picture is no longer there in the book. So obviously that means that the Daimar has been summoned. Which implies a weird relationship between the pictures in that book and the real things in the dark dimension. And I don't know, is that book all about the dark dimension or is it all about all magic I would guess all magic, because that's what it says on the cover, you know? <laughs> Apparently, Daimar is gonna is a little baby now, but he's going to cocoon and grow into, like, a big demon and then summon an army from the Dark Dimension. They turn the page, it's a picture of the cocoon, and then opposite is a picture of grown-up Daimar. The other thing that they say is it's not just an army of demons from the Dark Dimension. They say that... uh pan-dimensional portal will open, which I think if it were just between the two, it would be interdimensional. Yeah, with pan, that's everywhere. So... Which they do not seem to be surprised about the existence. And I think I think we've had extra-dimensional hijinks in past He-Man episodes. So it's not... The discovery was not that there are other dimensions. It's just that there's one really close somehow to their present dimension that balances science and magic again, somehow. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, makes sense. And Man-at-Arms gives Prince Adam the nod. Someone's got to take care of this. It's time to throw rocks at something. So I think we get a little bit more of a cut about Daimar's presence causing strange things to occur, like stuff's floating around or something. Yeah, there's a bunch of spooky fog lines that, like, go everywhere. They cut a scene where there's some spooky stuff happening, and then there's, like, these little Scooby-Doo wavy fog lines going around, and it's super spooky. And then, did you have... Yeah, sorry. I got anything. Put another candle. I don't know if I want to have the conflicting smells or <laughs> not, but it's been sitting there staring at me, and it's been fresh for, like, two weeks. I really want to light it. Uh... It's labeled flannel. That's the name <laughs> of it. What's the one that you did light? Uh, Sweet Rosemary Vanilla. I don't know if this can conflict or not. I don't think that I could tell you what flannel smells like. I can. I have it right here. <laughs> it smells like a blanket just out of the dryer. Mm. Uh, after a long rainy day, you've been wet outside and you finally showered and dried off and you get your warm fuzzy blanket and sit on the couch. It sounds like it smells like returning to He-Man feels. Exactly like that. Tila is practicing combat maneuvers out in a field somewhere. He-Man like rolls by and picks her up. They're heading over to the sorceress to try to figure out what's going on and find Orko. And then 
halfway through the episode, Skeletor finally shows up, but he's not watching TV for this time. No. Studiously watching his seismometer. Because <laughs> someone's got to monitor to see if that volcano is going to blow, I guess. Although I guess it turns out to be a like, magic seismograph because it's indicating that there is a strange source of energy. And somehow his little like wavy seismometers, uh, magicometer lines tell him that it's near the palace too. Uh, the magic meter, by the way, is in the shape of a skull. <laughs> and uh, it's got an open mouth with like the little wavy line that looks like a seismometer there. Do you think Skeletor crafts all of those things himself? Like he bought the machinery from, you know, the science and magic store, but he's like, I can't use this yet. I gotta, I gotta fix the case. I mean, obviously he does. He's very into miniatures, right? So he's got to get a little crafty on the weekends. <laughs> you know, I, I had the seismometer and I really wanted to spice it up. Added a nice little skull motif on the top. <laughs> oh my God. Subscribe and like for more. <laughs> Then there is a whole <laughs> untapped revenue stream. You could be making so much. It's not exactly <laughs> passive income because you'd have to make the videos, but you know, once they're out on YouTube and monetized. Crafting with Skeletor! <laughs> so the strange magical energy washes over Skeletor and Evelyn, who is there just sort of watching. Watching Skeletor watch the magic seismometer. Skeletor decides to send Evelyn to go check out the spooky stuff that's going on. Because if something that powerful is happening, he needs to be like he needs to have that power for himself. Evelyn also thinks that she has to have that power for herself. She does a classic like face the camera and under her breath says, "I will, but for me, not for you." She doesn't have an evil laugh though, which I thought was a missed opportunity. Yeah, really just like you're saying it now is like there's an evil laugh there, right? We cut over to Grayskull, and I've often wondered how the sorceress spends her free time. I mean, she's got the, like, 20-foot-tall attorney of viewer. She doesn't have a magic seismometer. But she is working on her own magical crafting, I guess. What kind of crafting? So, like, Skeletor's really into miniatures. You know, he's, like, got the, the miniature model of Castle Grayskull and all that, and he's got his plastic skull he's put on top of his my seismometer right what do you think the sorceress does we don't have any evidence of her like kitschy collection mm -hmm. but i don't know it's got to be like a bird theme kind of thing and she make like uh dream catchers and put some of her own feathers in it yeah or uh any sort of like feather art maybe the secrets of eternia the secrets of castle grayskull is the room that's just like shelves wall to wall of dead mice and other stuff that she's hunted. Yeah. <laughs> she just goes and gets it and brings it back. She doesn't have anybody to give it to. So is she like a cat or like, I guess a bird that kills mice. I mean, she does have someone that she could give them to, but uh, it's a tragic secret that Tila is her uh, daughter. So she can't present her with the presents. She totally tried to though. Man-at-Arms discovered human baby Tila in a literal bird's nest on the side of a mountain. Yeah, that's true. So do you think the sorceress was a mom of Tila? So she got the little baby up there. She was bringing her, like, regurgitated mice to feed her. And then Tila rejects all of the... Yeah. She's just like, this is gross. 
And there we've solved the mystery as to why the sorceress gave Tila up. She's like, I cannot feed this baby. I've done everything I tried. She will not eat mice. She will not eat snakes. <laughs> I tried to push her out of the nest to fly. She just kind of fell. <laughs> the sorceress over in Grayskull is casting uh, liquid light. So she's just like doing this for funsies. Maybe that's what her thing is. She's like just making a liquid light spell and it, She's doing that, and then it, and because the magic's all screwed up, it like doesn't work. It like fizzles or something, and it drains her of her power or something. Yeah, this is what I was wondering about hobbies because she's just chanting to herself. There is a golden glowing ball hovering about belly height, and she's finally perfected the liquid light spell. But yeah, the strange wobbly magic nonsense causes it to dissipate. And as soon as her arts and crafts time gets foiled, she immediately calls to He-Man for help. <laughs> like, I was making a light bubble, and now everything's wrong. You need to fix it, He-Man. Man-at-Arms and Tila, we cut over to the lab. They are looking for Orko, but cannot find him. Eva Lynn shows up and freezes them. She just walks in. She just, like, shows up. <laughs> No muss, no fuss. She's just there all of a sudden in the middle of the palace. Randor, Queen Marlena, Man-at-Arms. All frozen solid. Like, could she have done this at any time? It kind of seems like it, right? Yeah. Just further demonstrating that at any point, at any time, either Evelyn could pop over and kidnap the royalty. Presumably the sorceress could go appear in Snake Mountain and take down Skeletor, but no one wants to. No, they all could finish it. Evelyn grabs the book of literal magic and pieces out. So you think this book is like a published thing? You know, like they put on there whatever they have as far as like a printing press goes? Or is this a one of a kind book? Yeah, are there multiple copies? I would hope not, I guess. I mean, if it's so powerful that they're so excited to find it that Evelyn steals it, like it can't be something you can go down to Barnes & Noble and get, I guess. It raises the question, though, why did the sorceress let Man-at-Arms borrow that book? Right? I mean, if it's this power, all this powerful magic, is it so necessary that he proves the existence of the Dark Dimension? Well, I guess it is, like, potentially world-changing. It won't be, but it's potentially world-changing. <laughs> Man-at-Arms tinkers with so much stuff but if you judge him on his actual change on the actual change to the world that he produces yeah it's the attack track yeah like everything else is just sort of like you know really cool and conceptual like he's like the Nikolai tesla here yeah i mean occasionally his inventions have an impact on the episode that you're watching like the laser lasso the mighty laser lasso, the bat attract. Uh, <laughs> oh my god, I forgot about that one. Usually, whatever he's invented is some sort of thingamajig that is relevant to the episode and will be used once and to do something, and then either causes or solves the problem. Usually, it's neither. It's just sort of a thing that is there. Is that a MacGuffin or is that a another literary thing? Occam's razor is that the thing? Uh, Occam's razor is the one where the simplest explanation is usually the correct one. Because uh, the MacGuffin is just some item that does some thing that's like non kind of discreet, but it just fits narrative purposes for no other thing, right? Like it's just there to move the plot forward. I think that's right. 
the one there's like a, if there's a gun on the that's a different thing but there's a saying or like if there's a gun on the mantelpiece in the first act it has to have gone off by the third yeah that's um shit somebody's gun but there's one of them that's like some sort of device that's like plot relevant and it's not Occam's razor to me a macguffin is the it's like the um yeah it's like a interchangeable object that has no direct direct action on the plot but is the thing that motivates or is the thing that had like that causes the plot to happen or causes some change in the plot or whatever it's nothing about the object itself it's just that everybody wants it or wants to use it or something like that which is yeah not really man-at-arms yeah man-at-arms is kind of like uh james bond q He's like a tinkerer who comes up with some neat devices that will get James Bond out of some sort of specific jam he gets himself into. Like he needs the laser watch at some point. Although, like you mentioned, man-at-arms inventions either cause the plot to happen, resolve Chekhov's the plot. Chekhov's gun! Chekhov's gun. gun. Yeah. Sorry, no, go ahead. <laughs> yeah, go ahead, sorry. Uh, but Chekhov's gun is the one that's like, if the thing appears obviously early on then it will have to be used later a little whatever item that like you think has it so it has to come to completion later in the story um yeah i was just saying like you mentioned uh man-at-arms inventions either cause the plot to get kicked off or resolve the plot or have literally nothing to do with the episode so it's all over the map it can be any of these things but Orko and Daimar are heading to Castle Grayskull because Orko believes that the sorceress will help Daimar hide from Man-at-Arms for some reason, I guess. I don't know what gave him that idea. I guess the sorceress will understand that they're friends, maybe. I don't know if she would let that get in the way of banishing Daimar back to the Dark Dimension. Probably not. Sorceress is pretty matter-of-fact. Daimar complains of being sleepy and lays down... And transforms into the cocoon. So we're in the cocoon stage now with the metamorphosis. Arco's like, okay, nap seems like a great idea. I'll take a nap too. Just rolls with it. He-Man and Tila continue to have the most uneventful trip over to Castle Grayskull. They just sort of run on the tiger, or Battle Cat just carries them along. They do, but then the spooky magic covers the land, and some vines, which were small, grow large. Oh no. Oh, no. That sounds really spooky. <laughs> and He-Man's like, well, I guess we don't want to be here where these big fucking vines are growing. So <laughs> Eva Lynn studies the book at Snake Mountain. She was holding it like it was her journal, like the way she had it clutched to her chest. She tries out a spell and it doesn't work and Skeletor's like suspicious. Yeah, she has apparently discovered a spell that will steal Skeletor's power. Tries to zap him, but he just deflects it with the staff. And this was going to be my suggestion for Skeletor quote of the episode. Evelyn zaps him, Skeletor just deflects it, and then looks at Evelyn and just sort of deadpans. Evelyn, I am not amused. Uh, no, I missed that one. Evelyn, literally like a seven-year-old with an extra cookie, hides it behind her back, and Skeletor does not seem to notice. We cut back over to Orko, who wakes up near Daimar. We cut over to Skeletor, who I guess Evelyn has come clean because the book is on the ground, 
and Skeletor is anticipating uh, his rule over Eternia. They cut over to the King and Queen and Duncan staring at like their big screen TV, which shows them like the city of Eternia in ruins. And I didn't understand if that is like literally right now the city is in ruins or like is this some sort of like worst timeline vision? Because if the city's in ruins right now, like they didn't seem very worried about it. Which does not surprise me. Yeah, not at all. <laughs> I thought this was more evidence of how little King Randor, Queen Marlena, and Man at Arms, I suppose, care about the common folk of Eternia. Yeah. Not at all. Let them eat giant cakes. The TV that they're watching this literal devastation on is also huge. Massive. I don't think it's quite as big as a sorceress's TV. Uh, it looked like it was taking up a big portion of Man at Arms like workshop, right? Yeah. But I think the sorceress is like an entire cavern wall. Yeah, I think the sorceress still wins. Do you think the the Eternian? Well, do you think the king and queen? got their TV first and then the sorcerer's like, well, that's really big. And then she got an even bigger TV <laughs> to like kind of rub it in their faces. Here's the thing about the TV in palace Eternia. It's in man at arms. It's like in Duncan's lab. Yeah. So it's really his TV, right? And if you're going to watch it, then you got to like hang out with Duncan. <laughs> he never lets you use the remote. He's always got to watch some documentary about some <laughs> weird thing going on. He's watching Ancient Aliens or something. He's watching Ancient Aliens or he's watching... Uh, did you ever watch Beyond 2000 on the Discovery <laughs> Channel? No. That was like before the Discovery Channel took a dive into like aliens and stuff. But it was about all of the technology that was coming, the future technology that was coming after the year 2000. Because oh, it was yeah. shown in like the mid-90s. Definitely. He's definitely watching that show. Yeah, so the... King and Queen are still kind of out of luck. We cut back over to He-Man and Tila, who are stopped by the sounds of many large animals in combat. The subtitles say, literally. <laughs> really? But then the smook spooky magic happens, and a little lizard trundles out from the bushes. So not all the magic that is randomly spooky happening is bad then, right? No, it's just weird, I guess. It's like someone's rolling on the table of chaos magic or the sorcerer table. Like whenever in D and D uh, sorcerer casts a spell, you roll on the, on the table and something random happens. You don't know if it's going to be a fireball that kills everybody or a bunch of little fluffy creatures. Yep. Yeah, exactly. The thing about all of these scenes though, uh, even the man at arms in the lab scenes, the he-man ones where he and Tila are, escaping from giant vines or encountering small lizards. There are a lot of these little intercut scenes that have no, absolutely no purpose. Yeah, not really. So it seems like they had about six minutes of episode idea and 19 minutes of episode time to fill. To compare it to revelation, like that one, all the scenes give a lot, get are given a lot of space. And like in a lot of shows, like the pacing of it, with the rapid cuts of scenes between a lot of action, it's supposed to give you like a feeling of frenzy or like, it's like, it's exciting. And these like each of the things in there's those, those individual shortcut scenes are supposed to be like action, action. This is like not action to <laughs> something weird action to like, and it literally is 
Orca wakes up from his nap, and that's it. I think at that point, the cocoon is even still there. And it's not until finally yet another one of these intercut scenes that we find out that finally Damar has awoken and is wandering the countryside, I guess. But yeah, He-Man uses that intercut, that quick, or yeah, the quick cutting tool uh, very ineffectively. So He-Man finally makes it to the castle, right? The spooky lions are trying to shut the jaw bridge before they can get inside. But He-Man manages to like keep your pride open. And the other thing that I noticed is that, so, I don't know, the sorceress is expecting He-Man because she telepathically summoned him earlier in the episode. Still, when He-Man gets to Castle Grayskull, he has to go through the whole ritual, holds his sword out, yells, I command the jawbridge to open! And then it, like, you know, slowly uh, falls down and falls open. Do you think he'd have, like, a, a remote in his pocket in his little fur speedo like (laughs) just a little clicker you know you don't have to go through the whole process yeah or couldn't she give him the code you know to the door even just yeah they use a numpad like just make it a little simpler you know bother the neighbors a little bit less yeah but yeah the spooky magic like causes the castle gray skull to start glowing and that's why the job bridge is starting to close or something yeah it doesn't matter. He-Man opens it, holds it open like he said. The sorceress is like knocked out inside and she like tells He-Man that there's trouble coming in just the most roundabout riddle like <laughs> way. There are visitors outside. One for whom you search and one who searches for you. Which they weren't even looking for Orko. They were looking for her. Yeah. And why is Daimar looking for He-Man? Uh, or maybe it's the other way around. Maybe that's why I messed up. They're looking for a diamond. Uh, I don't know. Who knows? And Orko is looking for him. Yeah, it's is an unnecessary and confusing riddle. To say, hey, there's some big spooky demon thing outside. Which, you know, usually when you have a riddle in a show or whatever, the character has to solve it. They go on some journey. It has a purpose. In this case... The next scene is literally Daimar, who is the huge demon now, just like knocking on the door. So the sorceress could have said nothing. Yeah, and the same thing would have happened. It just didn't, doesn't help anybody grow as a person. It doesn't like move them forward. There's no mystery. There's no secret knowledge that He-Man unlocks in order to obtain this, the solution to the riddle. It's just needlessly obtuse. Daimar knocks on the door and spews some nonsense about destiny and how this is something he's got to summon the army for fate and destiny <laughs> that's my daimar impression you say nonsense but i imagine whatever writer penned this part of the episode just writing this line and then being like oh i'm so fucking cool daimar rolls up and in this like gravelly deep voice says we do what our destinies demand <laughs> oh god <laughs> which is pretty fucking sick uh, that's pretty metal. Daimar then encases He-Man and Tila in like a magic shell glowing orb. Skeletor shows up to try to capture Daimar, but is not very effective. Yeah, he just gets chumped. So when Daimar showed up, he is more powerful than He-Man. But after He-Man gets cocooned by Daimar, He-Man's power adapts and becomes more powerful and he breaks out of it. So you think that there is a little bit of lag time for He-Man's most powerful man in the universe 
meta power, I guess, to assert itself. I think so. It has to, like, the, the universe has to adjust to the presence. Those spooky Scooby-Doo mist lines that you were talking about earlier widen a little bit to reveal that they are the actual rifts in the pan-dimensional portals and all of these spooky shadow demon images are floating in the like white rift is this when he-man throws the bolo (laughs) at daimar yes so (laughs) he-man and daimar are fighting and uh he-man throws a bolo at at daimar and like it gets them and then uh daimar like you know does the whatever you expect he flexes his muscles and the ropes break because he's super super strong right he straight up looks at the camera does a little mean mug and asks does anyone want to buy a used bola it's incredible just straight smirk on his face like oh yeah it's definitely the best worst joke of the episode hands down the other thing the animation that they use for daimar breaking out of the bolo literally reused from 25 seconds earlier in the episode when Evelyn and Skeletor show up Evelyn tries to cast magic rope entangle on Daimar they use the exact same one yeah that's something to be said for efficiency I guess <laughs> Kimian has now been put in like a rainbow bubble extra powerful containment mm. and Orko shows up and starts pleading with Daimar because they are friends He's like, you don't have to do this. We're friends. We're friends, Daimar. Daimar's like, destiny. (laughs) So He-Man gives a whole speech about friendship and also free will. You have the power to choose your future. And there's like, for some reason, they're trying to like tie Skeletor into this. Like Skeletor keeps trying to convince Daimar that he should like work for him and that he has to because he has to so skeletor wants him to do it for skeletor but like the whole time daimar is not even like giving skeletor the time of day he's just like destiny (laughs) so like he's not like even giving into skeletor but then like he-man makes it like about giving into skeletor like you don't have to seems like he gives tries to make it about giving into skeletor you know yeah it's a total false dichotomy between daimar either choosing free will or choosing to serve skeletor because daimar's like got his own shit going on he's got his own army of demons that he's trying to summon right now but skeletor finally does something to get noticed by daimar which is to zap him with a freeze ray and then they try to pick him up in their spaceship to take him back to snake mountain for some reason because <laughs> that's how that works i guess they're gonna brainwash him most of the time that skeletor gets some sort of interdimensional demon creature to work for him it's usually because skeletor has directly summoned them and he's like hey yo i summoned you now work for me (laughs) and they're like yeah okay this time he came here on his own so like skeletor's like not even on his radar yeah and so daimar is like i choose my own destiny decides not to just to not he stops summoning demons just doesn't make any sense He's, he Before, he was going to summon demons and things, and now, because he got a rousing speech about making your own choices, he's like, well, I guess I'm not going to invade now. He-Man does get an opportunity to throw something, Skeletor, off into the horizon. Team Rocket. Yeah. 
blasting off again. <laughs> and Daimar has decided that friends would be pretty cool after all. The one thing that's not exactly on the tier list of most powerful things in Eternia, but it's pretty high up there if it would be, but friendship, stronger than steel. Yep. Do you think friendship is stronger than muscles? Um. Where does it go on our tier list? They haven't really gone head to head. Right now, so Friendship's kind of beating Zaps right now because there are sort of Zaps in the sky and Daimar was defeated by Friendship. So the other Friendship was what? When He-Man rescued the leader of the Fire People from a lava monster and they became friends? So that was Friendship stronger than technology and guns. Or no, I guess stronger than Fire People. So hard to equate because really what Friendship is doing is making it so there's no battle or competition to begin with. He-Man gives Orko some spiel about how he found something very precious. Orko, a friend. You know, the city's in ruins. Millions are dead from <laughs> bubbles of evil. But you got a friend, Orko. And some rainbows appear in the sky. Oh, that's nice. Uh, I, I do have a thought about the friendship muscle power continuum. But before that, what do you think that you learned in this episode, Ben? Not much. Um, I'm going to go with that you shouldn't give in to peer pressure and that you don't have to do anything you don't want to do, even if all your friends are doing it. That is a good lesson. Prince Adam approaches the screen. Well, that Daimar was really quite a fellow, wasn't he? Orko had no idea just what he was getting into with his mixed up magic spell, but he soon found out that he'd let loose something he couldn't handle. Now, we know that in real life there aren't any magic spells or demons, but there are problems. And just like Orko, sometimes you'll find you've got one that's too big for you to handle. At times like that, remember that there are people out there who really care about you, so talk to them. Telling them what's wrong is the first step toward making things right. Okay. <laughs> Which Orko does not do. Not at all. They were on the lamb. Yeah, he was hiding his problems. He was just, like, that's already been the moral too, hasn't it? Ask for help. Yeah, shenanigans, I say. All right, I'm too upset about this. You have to tell me about friendship now. So if there were a problem that He-Man could solve with muscles, why would he choose any other solution? He wouldn't. And so I think friendship has to be actually more powerful than muscles because it is a weapon of last resort. Yeah, 100%. I agree. Yeah. You don't want to go straight to friendship, you know? You got to wait till the interdimensional demon thing yelling about destiny has already got his army of demons with wings and stuff. Then you bring in the friendship. Yeah. What do you think the plumbing situation is in Eternia? Well, okay. Like everything in Eternia... Uh, there is a double standard because yeah. the people of Eternia definitely just shit in holes. Oh yeah, for sure they do. And I think based on what we've learned in this episode, the only way that you could deal with Eternia, Palace Eternia's waste situation is with the careful balance of both science and magic. See, I was thinking like uh, dimensional portal toilets. So there's like a septic dimension that like you just kind of like you have a little 
cistern and then you like you know you drop the kids off and they fall through at the interdimensional pool and they you know all your poop is transported to another dimension that's just the poop dimension is that the secret of castle grayskull <laughs> yeah yeah the dimensional toilets that are like zap laser incinerator toilets just smells terrible all day long what do you think skull let me ask a more important question <laughs> does skeletor poop does skeletor eat does he need to eat he has muscles so he has to have some sort of energy intake, right? And he zaps out, so he must have some sort of energy. So Skeletor eats. Maybe his zaps are his waist. That's why they're so powerful. <laughs> so everyone who zaps does that instead of... Instead of pooping. Pooping, yeah. They're just... They're, all their energy is so efficient, you know? They have all that extra energy stored up. Oh my god, which is why... So, okay, you eat some food. You eat a banana, right? Mm -hmm. Your body extracts as much of the nutrients as it's able to or whatever i don't really know about nutritional science but the thing that leaves your body is definitely less nutritionally dense than the original you know banana or something because mm -hmm. your body's extracted everything mm -hmm. and so this offers definitive proof that muscles are more powerful than zaps because your muscles are using the energy from your food first. Yeah. QED. And the zaps just whatever's left over. Your muscles are using all the nutrient-dense stuff, and then uh, zaps just get the, you know, the remnants. Yeah. You heard it here first. first. Although, I guess if you're gearing up for a really big battle as Skeletor or Evil Lynn or another zapper, uh, maybe you eat a bunch of corn <laughs> so your body doesn't your stomach doesn't use it but then it comes out as zaps yeah or a bunch of junk food that isn't like rich in protein or anything so your muscles are just like nah i don't want any of that mm -hmm. so skeletor has like i guess this really good elote recipe that he gets out <laughs> you know gets like a bunch of mayonnaise and cotija on that stuff uh well we managed to take this episode straight into shit talk anything else uh, that you had to say about Daimar the demon. I, uh, I think I cannot top that. <laughs> well, you have heard it here first. Friendship is the most powerful last resort force in the universe. More important than millions of people in your kingdom that have died from devastation. To be fair, almost literally anything is more important than that in the <laughs> kingdom of Eternia. Fair enough. Send us your interpretations of the equations that prove the existence of the dark dimension to hello at attorneyreview.com. We'll see you next time on the Attorney Review. <laughs>